I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Tracy Clark, a native Chicagoan, is the author of the Cass Rains Chicago Mystery Series, featuring ex-cop turned pal Cassandra Rains. Tracy's debut, Broken Places, made Library Journal's list of the best crime fiction of 2018, and that same year, Crime Reads named Cass Rains Best New P.I. The novel was nominated for a Lefty Award for Best Debut Novel an Anthony Award for Best Debut Novel, and a Seamus Award for Best P.I. Novel. Wow. Her second Reigns novel, Borrowed Time, was a finalist for the 2020 Lefty Award for Best Mystery Novel and won the 2020 G.B. Putnam Sons Sue Grafton Memorial Award. Book three in the Reigns series, What You Don't See, was also shortlisted for the 2021 Lefty Award for Best Mystery Novel. Tracy's latest novel is Runner. Tracy's a proud member of Sisters in Crime and Mystery Writers of America and a lifelong Southsider who roots for every Chicago team with equal enthusiasm. She is currently busy writing her next book. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I read that your love of books began with Dr. Seuss and Amelia Bedelia. When did mysteries fall into the mix? I don't know. I can't really pinpoint it to a thing, but I was just sort of that weird kid who was always like under my grandmother and mother. So I was watching those black and white old 1930s and 40s Thin Man series. Loved the Thin Man and uh, what was the dog? Um, Yes. Everybody was outside playing, having a good time, being a kid. And I was inside watching Boston Blackie and the Thin Man and stuff like that. So I think that's where it started. And then I was always an avid reader, of course, like most writers are. And so when I got to the point where I said, you know what, I think I want to try writing a book of my own, I just sort of gravitated towards gumshoes and uh, crime novels (laughs) and bad guys with, you know, brass knuckles and stuff like that's where my (laughs) sort of sweet spot was. So I don't think I just sort of made a conscious decision. I just sort of sort of gravitated to this kind of stuff that I like to watch and read. I'm guessing we're probably close to the same age. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. On cable, we had, was it? WGN was that the yeah. the Chicago <laughs> station That's and it. WGN showed those black and white movies Every and Sunday, yep. yes I'm the last of four children there's a big age gap between me and my sisters and so I spent a lot of time alone so same time you were sitting there watching those I was watching too <laughs> yep that's where it starts. <laughs> oh, I loved those. I, I so loved those. Tell us about Hyde. Hyde is the latest. It's a classic police procedural. It features Detective Harriet Foster, who, along with her homicide team, is charged with finding a serial killer who is hunting the streets of Chicago and sort of claiming young women with red hair and blue eyes. So that's her first case. When we meet Harriet, she's sort of coming off a couple of months of personal leave or something sort of tragic has happened. And she's standing on the sidewalk in front of the station, not quite sure whether or not she wants to go in and sort of re-up again, or whether she just wants to just sort of go and sort of lick her wound somewhere. But she goes inside the building, and I give her the most weird case that I could possibly think of to give her, (laughs) on top of all the other stuff that I've given her to sort of deal with, and just to sort of see what she does. So she goes into this new station, new boss, new team, new everything, 
And the first case right out of the box is a serial killer who is hunting young women. So that is Hyde in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, I think it turned out okay. <laughs> a little creepy. Oh, it's a shame. You know, <laughs> well, the creepier, the better you know, in, in that creepy. genre. You'll be all right. When you're doing mysteries, mm-hmm. I've been told by other authors that you really have to plot very carefully. You have to like outline. And then some authors will say, we start with an outline, but then it gets better when I just let the characters take me. Where do mm-hmm. you land? I am a classic pantser. I have no outline, no roadmap, no nothing. I sort of sit <laughs> down in front of that blank laptop screen and I just sort of build my case as the, you know, the thing happens. So I jump a body somewhere. That's her case. She's a homicide detective. That's her job. And then I just sort of follow it uh, lead by lead, suspect by suspect, breadcrumb by breadcrumb. Kind of like having an outline, you know, police sort of work in sort of a linear way. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of helps me out. But otherwise, I have nothing planned ahead of time. Uh, I might have a vague idea of what I think the case is going to be and who the killer might be. That has changed on occasion. I've gotten halfway through a book and say, hey, wait, wouldn't it be more interesting if? And then I have to go back and sort of, you know, build that too. So, you know, I'm just sort of out there willy-nilly, just sort of trying to get it done and trying to type the words the end without embarrassing myself. So that's my job. <laughs> Do you ever get to the end and then you're like, okay, we're not going to find out who did it. Does you're that right. ever happen? No, not really, because it's sort of an agreement between you and the reader, right? You okay. have sort of pros this puzzle, this case, and there has to be some kind of resolution at the end. It might not be as satisfying to most readers as you would sort of like it. You know, you might keep a little of things hanging, but you mm-hmm. have to have who your bad guy is whether or not they get away or get caught, there has to be some kind of resolution. So that's the agreement you make with the reader. And you sort of have to keep that. There are ways to sort of finesse it a little bit. Because you do a series, right? Yeah. Sort of have to carry a couple of threads through, but some things you have to sort of end. So there has to be a tie off at the end, sort of uh, follow it through because your characters have to move and change and sort of grow and sort of learn stuff. Otherwise they sort of stagnate and you don't want that to happen either. So they learn a little bit per book, learn a little bit more about them. And then they sort of progress as the series goes on, hopefully not good, uh, <laughs> if you sort of do it well. When you're doing a series, do you know you're doing a series or are you just writing that book? When I first started out, I just was writing that one book. But when the rejection letters sort of piled up and kept coming, I just kept writing. So these are the characters that I was writing about for the first one. So I just continued with that. I didn't quite know what a series was, but I just kept writing. It wasn't wasted time because as I kept writing, I got a little bit better. The better you get, uh, the better your chances ultimately. So I just kept writing it. So when that first book sold, I had two other ones just like it. Uh, they took all three. Bam, that's fine. That series is off and going. This one, it was supposed to be my first standalone. Harriet Foster was going to be my breakout thing. I handed it in to the publisher and they said, this is great. Uh, We want another one with these same characters in it. So now I'm back in the series (laughs) game. It's a good problem to have, but you know, yeah. So this is a new series starting. There's another book definitely coming after fall, which comes out in December. That'll be three and we'll see what happens after that. I might get the standalone in or continue with Harriet, but we'll see. Backing up, there's some theory that it takes like 10,000 hours to master something. And you were saying, you know, as you were getting these rejections, you kept writing. I I have a similar situation. I can't just keep writing, keep writing. I I don't know, like somewhere between (laughs) five and seven years in, I felt like, okay, now I'm starting to feel like my feet are underneath me. Yeah. Where did that hit you? When did you know, like, okay, now I'm getting it. It it took actually from that first initial starting of a book Mm -hmm. uh, to somewhere about 20 some years. It took 20 some years to sort of get to feel that I sort of knew what I was doing or at least knew how to sort of get there. I took courses. I took classes. I took a workshop. Uh, One of the rejection letters that I did get said, find yourself a writer's workshop, get in it. 
And I did. So I slept all the way up to the north side in Chicago here. <laughs> and once a week for two years, I did that. So wow. five pages, of, uh, 10 pages, I think, uh, a time. And you would just sort of work on it, work on it and perfect it and get it better. So you have to sort of put that time in. Mm-hmm. And it's not wasted time. You would think that it would be wasted time because, you know, nobody's asking for your stuff. <laughs> nobody's coming in with you at contract, you know, but that's time you need, I think, as a writer to sort of figure out how to tell a story, how to tell a story well, and then to sort of compact it and make it as tight as you can as sort of make it sing. But that takes time. That takes years sometimes mm-hmm. for people. Uh, and then you just sort of have to do it. That sort of put in your time, get it done, keep writing, pile those rejection letters up and just keep going. Just keep I going. I agree. I go to this workout class at the Y a couple of days a week. And one of the girls, the girls, we're all girls, we're 50 some year old girls, right? <laughs> the girls asked me this morning, how do you write a book? I'm kind of thinking I want to get started. And I was like, oh, okay. I would start with a workshop, like go online. I was telling her, I was like, look at Grub Street, look at Writer's mm-hmm, Digest, mm-hmm. look at KM Wyland stuff. Like start there. <laughs> That's a big question. Because there's no one way of doing it. Everybody right. who does it has their own process. Everyone's brain works a little differently and uh, sort of approaches the project uh, in a different way. So yeah, that was a good advice. Uh, Find a (laughs) workshop, get in it, get your pages in there, have them get torn up and put back together again. And you're on your way. I forgot to tell her, don't feel precious about your pages. Oh, you can't. You can't. Don't feel bad. You're going to feel bad, but don't feel bad. You'll burn yourself out. Precious (laughs) is not going to work. Precious does not work here. It's not going to work for you. (laughs) I need to make a plaque right here above my desk. Precious does not work here. She is left the building. If you're you're easily offended or get your feelings hurt really easily, this is not the job for you Uh, because everybody around you, writers, editors, agents, whatever, are going to tell you exactly what's wrong with your stuff. And you're going to have to either take it or, uh, you know, crumble. It's just business, unfortunately. You said, I know the crime. Do you already kind of have the character ready when the crime arrives? Well, when I started Hyde, I sort of knew a little bit about Harriet, a framework. I didn't know the sort of intimate things about her because I sort of wait for the voices. My first series, voice was there immediately, knew exactly who she was. Bam, bam, bam. We're off to the races. Harriet is a little different. She's older. She's a bit more meticulous. She's a, a lot more insulated. And so it took me a while to sort of figure out what made her tick, what motivated her to sort of go into that building as opposed to running away from it. And then you sort of learn as you go. Some writers sort of have character biographies where they know exactly uh, what Mm -hmm. their favorite color is and their shoe size. and everything. I didn't know any of that about her. I just knew this is what she is. Let's get her in the building and then let's see what she's going to do. So it's uh, page by page sort of learning out who she is, what she might do here and there, what she's feeling, what is sort of keeping her held back because she is held back when we meet her. She's brilliant on the job, brilliant investigator, gets her job done. She goes home, takes that badge off and that gun off, and she's stuck. So I like that sort of duality about her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting for me as a writer to sort of figure out what's going to move her forward, what's going to make her move. So I think we learn a little bit more about her in fall, which is the second book coming in December. And hopefully third one rolls around, um, we'll learn a little bit more about her. So little by little, she's sort of like a clam opening up. And, and it's fun for me. And I hope it's interesting for the readers too. Isn't it humbling when you've written this one character, you know, like your first series, you've written this one character and you know them so well. And then that series is over and you have to 
have a new character. You yeah. know, so like as a writer, you kind of feel like, okay, I know what I'm doing now. And then you all of a sudden you have this new character. And it's like, oh crap. I think there was a solid month in there where I was absolutely sort of stuck. I had absolutely no idea how I was going to approach this new thing because I still had the old voices there and I knew them so well. I knew the apartment. I knew her setting. I knew what what kind of car she drove. I mean, I knew all of those intimate details about her. And then I have to stop that, push that voice to the back and sort of, you know, beckon Harriet Foster forward. And she did not want to come. Uh, She was just... (laughs) dragging her heels the entire time so the first part of that writing process that first draft was me sort of you know sort of picking the earth trying to freaking find this character <laughs> uh, and so once I sort of got to the point where I could sort of hear her and hear her on the page then it got a little easier but uh it took a while it took a while to sort of make that transition and that sort of change and Cass is still in there um she's waiting for her you know, next book to come in uh sitting there with watching her watch but her voice is sort of dulled and Harriet is, is where I need her to be so not good on that well it's I've never bathed a cat but I imagine that's what I can compare it to is is that you're, you're trying to drag this character into the story and they're like I don't know you I don't know you you don't know me yeah you that's think exactly you know me right. you don't know Bingo. You nailed it. So how are these characters, your leads? How are they like you? I think Cass is probably more like me uh, just because, you know, kind of snarky sort of an attitude. That's (laughs) kind of like me. Harriet, uh, not like me at all, which is probably why it's so hard for me to sort of find out who she is. She's just herself. I've just sort of put her through the ringer and she's sort of a strong character, an independent character. But, you know, she's got some some stuff she's got to deal with. And that's yeah. sort of new to me so, because that's not my experience, but sort of fun trying to find out what that is. I like sort of digging into characters, their innermost feelings and trying to figure out what their malfunction is <laughs> and see <laughs> well, if and I can fix it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like solving a crime. You know, when you look right, at the exactly. crime, they do all the profiling. They, mm-hmm. How do they think? It's kind of like that. Like you have the yeah. crime and then you also have this other side that we got to figure out too. So and that for fun. me, that's the most interesting part. I like character driven things. Mm-hmm. Plot driven are fine. Uh, the thrillers, the suspense things, that's great. But I'm sort of interested in the people, the book people uh, to figure out, you know, <laughs> where they come from, what they're going to do, uh, what's their business. I'm sort of a nosy person that way. I want to know what's going on, <laughs> what's going on in, in people's lives. It makes you more invested as a reader because you feel like not only are you interested in the case, like you're worried about this person who's trying to solve it. Yeah, that's great. You obviously have to do some research, I'm guessing. Do you have like a criminal background, like crime solving? What is your research like? Like, Do you have standbys or do you have to call on different people? Luckily, I have uh, police officers that I can sort of call on. So when I started the cast series, I had absolutely no idea what police officers did on a daily basis. You know, I knew police officers, but you know, when they get to my house, they're just regular people. Um, So (laughs) I took a couple of female detectives to breakfast. And I said, exactly. Why did you choose this job? It's a crap job. I'm just going to tell you, I would not for a bet put a gun on and go into a dark alley at midnight, try to find some, you know, so what motivates you to do it? And they sort of told me their stories and how they sort of got into it. And they also shared some of the interesting police stories that you kind of love to hear because, you know, they're really gory and fun. So anyway, I got all that information and then I just sort of sat with it because that was Cass's backstory. So once I had that foundation, that information in there, sat with it for a little bit, then the voice started to come. 
then the stories started to come and then I was off to going. The same with Harriet. She's sort of in a different position. She's sort of a head of a homicide team. Had absolutely no experience with that. Um, but again, I can text or call or email and say, you know, what would you do in a situation like this? What would she be doing here? Who touches the body first? Who doesn't touch it? Which is almost almost as important. What happens at a crime scene? What's the tape for? All of those little intricate details that I don't know that they do mm-hmm. that I can add to the pages. So I don't do a great deal of research just when I need it. I don't think readers are all that much interested in what form they sort of fill out for whatever. They're interested in character and pacing and moving the story along. So just enough detail to sort of make it sound right. And then I just sort of move on to the character parts of it. So I'm guessing the questions you ask are not necessarily, I mean, sometimes I would guess they're like, tell me how this works. And other Mm -hmm. times I would guess you're present a situation. Can this happen? Yeah. Not does it happen, Uh, but can it happen? Exactly. And most of the time it cannot. So apparently police officers have to sort of follow the law, which is a kind of weird (laughs) thing to make them do. But, you know, they're sort of limited in what they can do. You would think they'd have this, you know, carte blanche to sort of find the criminal and do whatever, but they cannot bust their door in. They can't do all of that fun stuff that, uh, you know, private operatives might be able to do, (laughs) uh, sort of. So they have to sort of walk a pretty fine line and that's kind of styming you know writer wise but you know yeah. you just sort of get into the groove of it and there are things you can do color right. it a little bit make it a little more fantastic yeah, you know, jazz it up a little. <laughs> of these characters and like you, the women that you spoke with who are officers is there kind of a through line about what draws them into that career no, it's both were different. One joined the police department because she was a fan of Scooby-Doo. She watched Scooby-Doo when she was a kid and got into that sort of mystery, sort of solving cases kind of a thing. And then bam, she's in the police department. The other was just, you know, this is a job that works for the city. Great benefits. You have opportunity to move ahead, advance. Uh, there's also the, the violence part of it, but they were committed to doing the job for different reasons. So I think that's probably indicative for everybody. I mean, everybody's got a different reason of why they do it. Those who do it well, do it very well. And those who do it badly, we could probably do without. So just like any profession, you got good ones and bad ones. And you sort of weed out the bad ones when you can and all the good ones. How do current events play? I just keep up with it as a sort of matter of of course. And something will probably spark my imagination somewhere, some little news story somewhere, some little weird kind of a body dump somewhere. I mean, it doesn't take much, (laughs) just some little thing that sort of gets your imagination sort of blossoming and say, well, take this thing. What what would happen if you sort of turned it this way or angled it that way? This is how this system is supposed to work. What happens if it would work maybe this way, a little off kilter a little bit? Uh, And then that's where the stories come. So you can find inspiration anywhere, ideas anywhere, you can be anywhere, just some little thing to spark creativity and imagination. And then you sort of, you know, put your own stink on it. <laughs> what do you wish you had known when you began writing? I think I would like to have known or sort of process the fact that it doesn't have to be perfect. Sort of want your books, your stories, your characters to be perfect. And there's no such thing. The best you can do is the best you can do. You have to leave it and go on to the next thing. And I think I spent a lot of time on the front end when I was first starting out trying to make it perfect and trying to make it as good as somebody else's. And that's never going to happen. That's a fool's game. You have to write your story and you have to write it the way you write it. And whatever you write is going to be different from whoever else is out there because you're different. So just write the best thing you can do, move on to the next thing, 
and keep it rolling. Who are the authors you like to read? I like Lori R. King. I like her. Katrina McPherson. So I guess sort of waffle between cozies and noir and, uh, you know, P.I. fiction. I like Sue Grafton, of course, one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorites, Sarah Paretsky. So anybody that has an interesting story, an interesting character, I'm there. That's why my TBR file is sort of... And this is the overflow. This is just oh, the gosh. overflow. I've got... I've got all of over here that I have to still get to. So anything that looks interesting, anybody that sort of I know is a good writer is going to give me a good experience. Bam, automatic buy. It's on the pile. And when I have five, 10 minutes or whatever, I get to it. You brought up Sue Grafton. I was going to ask you, how did you feel when they told you you won the Sue Grafton Memorial Award? That's huge. Okay. I had no expectation that I was going to win anything. Uh, In fact, (laughs) I so sure that I wasn't. I took my shoes off under the table in the banquet room. So you know how you sort of take your shoes off and they sort of go, you know, OCDC and everything. So now they call my name. I'm barefoot. I've got to sort of feel around under the table looking for my shoe. Now, everybody's sort of clapping and doing whatever they do. And by the time I got up there, complete blank, my mind was, I had, of course, not written a a speech because (laughs) who's going to give me the Sue Grafton. And so now I I mumble through something. I have absolutely no idea what I said. That was my experience (laughs) for the Sue Grafton. The first one was a fluke, okay, in my opinion, all right? Anyway, so there's no way in heck they're going to give it to me twice, okay? So now I'm relaxed at the table. You know, all my people are there, my (laughs) my writer pals, you know, their wine is on the table. We're having a good time. And so I'm waiting for the category and whatever, getting ready to applaud whoever wins, and they call me again. So now here I am, a still no speech, because, of course, who's going to give me the Sue Grafton twice? Okay, so now... (laughs) I mean, it's just weird. It's just, it's a good thing to have. It's a good feeling. It's a validation. I admire her immensely. I met her once at a book signing to sort of hope uh, some of that writer mojo would sort of get me and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, it didn't, but uh, it was a good experience. So when it twice was a wonderful honor and I appreciate it. I, I, you know, I can't say enough about it, but, you know, it doesn't help me write the next book. The words still have to get on the page. And, you know, I just sort of meet that challenge with a little bit more confidence. That's awesome. Congratulations. Twice. Is, Thank you. That's huge. How do you get the inspiration? You've finished a book. It's time to start another one, whether it's in a series or all on its own. Like how, what, what do you do to get in the mood? I just sort of think about how I left the last one because mm-hmm. I write series, talked about those threads again. So whatever mm-hmm. thread that I sort of left there uh, to sort of pick up in the next book, that's usually my starting point. I know that I have to meet the character there with the Harriet Foster series. She's got a different case each time. So in the second book in the series, somebody's going around the city killing aldermen. That's not a small thing. Um, So she's got to figure out how to sort of get that to stop. But she's still got that emotional thread, that journey that she's got to go through. So I pick it up there, move into the case, and then we're off to the races. But generally, when I'm looking for an idea for a book, I'm looking everywhere. Newspapers, evening news, stories that my neighbors might have mentioned, (laughs) something weird that happened at the church, you know, something like that. And that sort of gets me thinking and starts to percolate. And look, if anything sort of has some kind of steam or some kind of propulsion, that's probably a good idea, a good place to start. And then you sort of keep all the other stuff that you sort of invent yourself on top of that framework. So you start with a kernel of an idea, you see where it goes, whether you can sort of angle it this way or that and put some meat on it. And as you sort of build that idea, find a way to sort of go into the story that way, then you build on the page and blossom out and add all those words 
Some of them do it. <laughs> Some of them are great. Most of them are not. <laughs> you know, but you just sort of keep going until you build your story. You've got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then you go back and you fix all of the wrong stuff. So you've got time and opportunity to do that. So you build it in stages. starts with the spark. You add all of your stuff on top of that. And then you just get it done. So how long does it take you to get it done? It takes me as long as they give me. My first series, I had an entire year, which is great. This series, I get nine months. So okay, I have series for the series. For each book, they give me one, one year for each book. Oh, what does your writing day look like? Well, I have my day job still. So 5.30, I'm up. 5.30 to 8, I'm writing. 8 o'clock, I have my Cheerios. Uh, 8.30, I get to the day job. And if I have an idea for the book sometime during that day, I have a post-it note that I write a little jot a little note on and put it on my laptop for 5.30 the next morning. And that's mm-hmm. how I do it. Seven days a week, build in a couple of more hours on the weekend if my brain is not fried. But I sort of keep to that schedule and it works for me. And it just also sort of primes your brain too. So if it knows that 5.30 is your time, it's up and ready to go at 5.30. Your brain sort of kind of knows after a while that that's your time, <laughs> you know, get things moving. No time for navel gazing. You have to get it done. Let's go. That takes discipline too, when you're doing both. Desperation as well. I cannot explain to non-writers how looming that deadline is. Nine months might sound like a long time. It is not really, considering all the stuff you have to do and how Mm -hmm. you have to go back and do it over and over again to sort of get it right. It's really crunch time right from the start. You don't have a lot of time to waste. So you have to take advantage of whatever time you get and get those words on the page. Amen. I asked Kristen Higgins, how do I do this head down, butt in chair? Think of it as a job because it is. Uh, that's your yeah. job. Your job is to get this book done, get it there the best way you can, and then you know move on. Do you have any advice for new writers? Just don't listen to the rejection letters. They are sort of, you know, <laughs> can be sort of debilitating. But, you know, just look at them as sort of a rite of passage. You're going to get them. Just pile them up like I did and use them as motivation and just keep writing your stuff. Just keep writing it. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for having me. To learn more, visit TracyClarkBooks.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.